right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? You guys alive and well? Yes? No? <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, well, my name is Nick Weiss. Uh, again, a friend of Sean. Uh, we go back a long time in history, and then me and his brother, his younger brother, were best friends in middle school as well. So there's a lot of a lot of history there, but God has done a lot of stuff in our lives. Um, it's been been good, but um, as he said, me and my wife and our then two kids, now we have three kids, but we went out to church plant. Uh, we moved a little over two years ago and uh, to Austin, Texas, and we moved on an interesting date. It was March 11th, 2020, and some of you may recall that day to be a little more interesting than others. Anyone here know why? A little thing called COVID. Yeah, you know, no big deal. At least that's what we thought on March 10th, March 11th. That was a different story. That's when the word pandemic was introduced to us with the uh, with COVID there. And so things changed pretty drastically. And it went from not being able to find toilet paper on the shelf to not being able to find anything on the shelf. And so that was the day we moved to Texas. We're like, all right, God, this is uh, not what we expected, but we're here, you know, and um, but yeah, we, we planted a little, uh, we moved a little over two years ago. We launched September 20th of 2020. Yep, that's the right date. Um, and we've been going ever since. So we've met in five different locations, which is one of my uh, like mentor pastor guys in Colorado. He told me, he's like, yeah, you don't want to move a lot. I'm like, well, we moved five times in under two years. Uh, but there's not much you can do about it sometimes. You just got to figure it out. But we're now in an elementary school um, out in Hutto, Texas is where it actually is, and so it's a little like suburb town. It's northeast. If anyone familiar with Austin, that area, so there's Round Rock, which is like right above Austin, and then Hutto is just right over to the east a little bit, and so that's where we actually live, and we landed there because it was the only thing we could really afford, um, but it's good, and uh, we love it, so uh, that's a little bit about myself. Anything else I should say about that? I don't know. Okay, cool. Last service was a little bit of a wild ride. Uh, this, I don't know. I'm going to try to use my notes today or this time. Um, last time it was just going with the Spirit. So, But what I want to do is I do want to pray. I want to just open us up to God. Whatever He does want to speak, I do want to be sensitive to that. But uh, I'm going to try and stay on time. And no one gave me a time limit last time either. So that was not my fault. If you're showing up and we're still going, you're like, what's wrong with this guy? I didn't get told when I was supposed to end. So I was just, this is great. <laughs> and I didn't know there was two services until yesterday. So I was like, is this just one service? Like, no, it's two services. Like, oh, okay. Um, anyways, but let's pray. Um, yeah, but let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord. We ask that you would meet us here, God, that you would give us hearts and minds for your word, hearts and minds for you and all the things that you would want to do in our lives, that you are doing in our lives, God. And we pray that you'd give us hearts and minds for others. God, we know that you love people, God, and so we want to be imitators of you loving others as well. And God, I pray that you meet us here today, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom and discernment of what your word means, how we can apply it to our life how we can then be changed and we can start to see change in our life and through our life and we can impact the lives around us so that people may know you, God. And so again, meet us here today. Speak to us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And we said, Amen. So I'll, I'll start today. Um, this was kind of an audible last service and I'm not going to go on a big tangent as much, but I know for myself, my wife, and some, I mean, a lot of people, probably yourselves as well, this last week has been a little rough. If you guys pay attention to the news, there were some tragic events, and I don't want to talk about the details because I'll probably break down and uh, have one of my kids in the back over there. But it involved kids at elementary school, if you know what I'm talking about. Now, it struck something in my heart to where it's just like, God, what's going on? And if you guys are kind of scholars, maybe not a scholar, but you're familiar with the Bible, there's one guy that I resonate with when this type of stuff happens, and it's Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I think he had it rough. He was a guy who saw things he didn't ask to see, he didn't want to see. And if you're familiar with it, we might have it on the screen this time. Habakkuk 1, verse 2. Habakkuk complains to the Lord and he says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong? You ever feel like that? You look at the news and you see some of this stuff and you say, God, how long is this going to go on for? 
Why do we got to see these tragic events in schools where these things shouldn't happen? They should be safe uh, there, you know, like they shouldn't have to fear for their life. And now I, I thought those things right now, my heart resonates with them. But here's the thing that God says, if you jump down to verse five of Habakkuk chapter one, God answers him. Right. Habakkuk cries out, how long will these things happen? And I'm telling and he's saying violence, bad things. Why won't you say, why do you make me see these terrible things, Lord? And then God replies. What you need to know in your life is that even though when we do see tragic events or you live through tragedy and you can call, you can always call out to God and he will hear you and he will answer. The thing is, is sometimes we don't like the answer, do we? Right? Say, God, I want my family member to be healed. Right? Maybe they're sick. And then they, they're not healed. And they go to be with Jesus where ultimately they're healed in the greatest way possible. But we don't like the answer because we're not ready for that yet. And so we call out to God with whatever it is we're struggling with, going through, and God will answer in time. Sometimes it'll be kind of an immediate thing. Sometimes it just takes time. We cry out to God and God is just letting us work through a situation, work through some bitterness where God's, if you have kids, you ever like, just kind of like you, a parenting tactic is like you almost pull back just so that they like realize and learn on them on their own that what they're doing is a stupid idea, right? Like, like they're like all frustrated and upset and you just kind of let them realize like that that's just not going to work, right? And I think sometimes God, we cry out to God and how he responds is he kind of just lets us realize, man, I am bitter. I am not in a good state, right? And then we come to the Lord with a new, refreshed, kind of recalibrated state, and we let him put us back together. But the Lord answers Habakkuk, verse 5 of chapter 1, look among the nations. I know the slide might say, it said Nehemiah earlier, right? You guys are confused, but just bear with me. It says, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. And many people know this verse. God says, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. Right? You heard that verse? Right? I, I'm, I live in Texas now, and I mean Texas, in my opinion, is kind of the, the buckle of the Bible belt, right? Everyone seems to be a Christian. Although Austin is totally, it's not the Bible belt. I don't know what, what's the opposite of a Bible belt is the, I don't know, i got to figure out some catchy thing to say. When I'm not in Austin. Um, but anyways, it's like it's the opposite. It's where everybody goes to get away from the Bible Belt. They go to Austin because they're, they're raised in Christianity. But in Texas, a lot of people believe in God. And then this is a verse that they would quote. You'd probably see it on a T-shirt or a coffee mug. Right? I'm doing a work that you wouldn't believe if I told you. Now, that sounds good. Right? You're like, oh, that's great. It's a good T-shirt. It'll probably sell and it'll encourage people. But here's the thing. The context is not good. Habakkuk is saying, why do I have to see evil and violence, Lord? And the Lord says, Habakkuk, I'm doing something that you wouldn't understand if I told you. And he goes on, he's like, I'm raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and they're going to come over, they're going to take Israel, Judah, captive. I'm raising up the enemies. And so essentially what God is saying is that Habakkuk, it's going to get worse. Now, we don't like that, do we? hard to, I don't know, maybe I'm just being honest. Maybe it's just me, right? It's hard to reconcile that in my heart where God says it's going to get worse sometimes. Like, what do you mean, God? You're good. It's going to get worse. And sometimes God has to allow things, I don't know, to fall apart to help us realize that he is everything we need. And that he is the only one that can put us back together, right? And I love Habakkuk's, and I know this probably isn't up there, but he ends in chapter 3. He says, Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh Lord, do I fear in the midst of it. Revive it. And, and Habakkuk kind of comes to a, an understanding. You know, all right, Lord, it's going to get worse. If I had a prayer request anyways, Lord, would you revive it, or would you revive your people? Would you save some people? Do some good in the midst of this stuff that's going to happen? And here's the thing. You and I know this, right? Is that the book of Revelation for us? Like, it is going to get worse at some point before it gets better. You understand that? Or I, I mean, that's just the Bible. That's the truth. If we want to talk, what does God say is going to happen? We know there are some several things that will happen 
that are not good. And it will eventually get worse before it gets better. But God is still good. God is a faithful God, and He is working something anyways. And so, I don't know, this past week I felt like Habakkuk. I'm crying out to God, Lord, why is this happening? Right? But I think the encouraging thing is like we can come to God with our frustrations. Rather than taking it out on one another, how many people do that, right? You see that on Twitter, Facebook, people attacking one another, right? They're saying what should happen, what shouldn't happen. We should outlaw this or make this legal, right? And everybody with these things. But really what we should do is we should just be coming to God. God, I'm frustrated. I'm saddened. I'm heartbroken. And I don't know what to do. And when we come to God in prayer, what he does do is he does recalibrate our hearts with his. Right? You come with bitterness. You come with pride. I think you can come with those things to God, but God will reveal it. And then afterwards, have you ever been in this situation where you're kind of like angry with God? And after praying, you're not so angry anymore? Because God is working on your heart. Because God is showing you the truth. He's showing you your sins at times, right? Where you're angry and you shouldn't be. Right? You're frustrated and I got this under control. And God recalibrates us with him. Now, where I do want to go today is Nehemiah. All right. And so Habakkuk, he was a guy who saw a lot of hard things. Right. Um, for me, uh, going back to church planting, right. Church planting hasn't been easy. It's been hard. It's been difficult, I will say, especially with COVID coming in. It hasn't been easy. But I will say that it has been worth it. Right? I love our church and the people. We got about 15 or so people that come. And we got like 15 Kids And these kids are all like six and under, so it's quite uh, crazy. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> um, anyways, but it's fun. Uh, but, it, but it is hard. But here's the thing I know about God and with the Bible, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul writes, he says, Re- We rejoice in our sufferings. Right? If you'd say that to Habakkuk back in the day, well, Habakkuk, we rejoice in our sufferings. Habakkuk would be like, you're crazy, Paul. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what the Lord said is going to happen. But Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. How many of you know that endurance is a good thing? How many of you know that endurance is something that we as Christians should have? I don't think there's an option when we get to hard stuff, trials, tribulations, whatever you want to call it. Like I don't think there's a, a question, well, should I give up now? No, Jesus says that he who endures till the end will be saved. Not he who tried a little bit, but they hit some trials and tribulations and things got hard and they got discouraged. They got down on themselves, but they quit and but they'll be saved. No, he says he who endures will be saved. And Paul says there, it's like we we rejoice in suffering, going through hard stuff because suffering produces endurance. Right, I love what I saw. Um, you guys, were, or here's a pop quiz. What did you guys uh, learn last weekend in, on Sunday? Patience with endurance. Is that what you said? Huh? Patient endurance. Awesome. You guys remember what chapter, book? Come on. Yeah. All right, good. I was going to say, if I tell you and answer the question for you, I wasn't even here. Uh, that's not good. I'm going to tell um, Pastor Tom what's going on. Him a report. But anyways, I, I saw that because I, I mentioned it because that's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's so practical, so applicable to our lives where it's like, look, you have your faith, right? Your faith. If you don't have faith, none of the other stuff matters, right? It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how patient you are, how self-controlled you are, how much you endure, or you add moral goodness or virtue, which, whatever the translation says, right? That stuff doesn't matter if you don't have faith. But if you have faith, you should add these things to your faith, right? Like supplements. I don't know if he talked about this last week, but supplements, right? You guys go to the gym, anybody? Or have you ever been to the gym? Let's just ask that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to single everybody out, right? I don't go to the gym. If you've ever been to the gym, right, it starts with like your body. Like you have to go in there or it doesn't matter, right? Like first off, you have your, your body, your health, your fitness, whatever you want to call it, right? And then you can add supplements. Supplements are not your body. But supplements can help your body, right? And same thing with your faith. It's like, like uh, self-control is not faith, but self-control can help your faith. Knowledge is not faith, but knowledge can help your faith. You understand what I'm saying? And so 
Paul here in Romans, he says, we rejoice in sufferings, going through hard stuff, because through hardship, we get endurance. We get stronger. Who would have thought, right? That's the thing, like as Christians, we're kind of just like, but I don't want to go through hard things, because hard things, well, they're hard, <laughs> right? But again, if you've ever gone to the gym and you want to get stronger, what do you got to do? You've got to lift heavy stuff. I could just, you're not going to get stronger by looking at the weights. You're not going to get stronger by just like recognizing mentally, intellectually that if I lift those weights, I would get stronger. And then, you know, you have to actually do the work. So Paul says we rejoice in this because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. I think one thing that I see in the young like generation coming up, like behind me and even younger than that, is we see a lack of character. Why do we see a lack of character? Well, because they don't go through hard things. They don't want anything to be difficult. Right? They want to kick their feet up. Can I work from home at whatever time of day that I want? And I don't want to be told no. And if I am told no, that's rude and mean. And we're going to cancel you, right? You guys understand what I'm saying? We have a generation coming in that's even here that doesn't have any character because they don't go through hard things. And because of that, they don't have endurance. And because they don't have endurance, they don't have character. And here's the next thing. He says, and character produces hope. We've got a generation with no hope because they have no character. They have no character because they have no endurance. And they have no endurance because they've never gone through anything hard in their life. That is not what we as Christians are called to do. You understand me? Like, we are called to go through hard things. Habakkuk was called to go through hard things, things he couldn't do, he didn't want to do, I'm sure. Nehemiah, as we're going to get to in a second, called to hard things. No stranger to hardship or opposition at all. Anyone familiar with Nehemiah this morning? Just a little bit. Ever heard of him? Okay. All right. It's a great book. I swear, you read through this, God will teach you something every single time you read through. You'll think, oh, I know chapter one. But then you read it again a month later or a year later, God will speak something new. It's amazing. God's word is alive and active. So Nehemiah, here's how he plays into the timeline of the Bible. Habakkuk, right, is before the exile, right, before they're taken out. God said, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. They're going to take these, the, my people, the Jewish people, out of their country. They're going to become slaves, effectively. You know how long they were slaves for? 70 years, right? 70 years because, I mean, really, they just kind of forgot about God. God said to, to give the land rest, and they didn't give it any rest. He said on the seventh year, every, every seven years, you, you don't work the land, right? And I, I would be super interested. I'm sure that people have done this. Like, we should do a science experiment. Like, we want to talk science. Let's do a real, like, biblical science experiment. Get some land. Let's work it for six years. Then we'll let it rest for a year, and let's just see how it compares to someone who doesn't do it. I bet you it would be pretty amazing. Don't you? I, I don't know. I'm just curious. That's fun. Um, but anyway, so they didn't give it rest for 490 years, and then you divide that by seven, that's 70 years. And here's the thing is that God is going to get his rest. He's going to get his will will be done either way. So he says, hey, let it rest. They didn't let it rest. Well, God's going to give it rest anyways. And so they are exiled for 70 years where Jerusalem, Judah, effectively becomes a ghost town. The only people left there would be the sick and the poor and really the people the Babylonians deemed like not worth taking. Like, oh, they're not going to be of any help. No value there. We can't get anything. Oh, they're sick, troubled, whatever the case may be. Now they left them there. Now here's another interesting thing. is So they, uh, they left them there, and also the northern kingdom, if you guys are familiar with this, about, I don't know, it was 100 years before Judah, they were taken in exile because the same kind of thing. They didn't repent and believe in God. And now the sick and the poor, they're left there. The Assyrian people, they come in, they take what's left, the Jewish people, the sick, the poor, whoever they didn't want to bring, and then they, they have babies, right? They get married, right? And you know what people group comes out of that? The Samaritans, right? Samaritans is interesting, and, and it plays into Nehemiah for sure, because Sanballat, if you're familiar with Sanballat, he's an enemy of God, but he's a Samaritan, right? You can just imagine, like, he's a Samaritan, and he has been devalued. The Jewish people don't like him. They think that he's like this half-breed outcast. Don't come near here. So you could only imagine in your mind what kind of, like, I don't know, bitterness or anger Sanballat would have towards the Jewish people. Right? Like, you guys hate me. And sometimes it's just like that in life. Because someone hates you, you just hate them back. 
You ever thought that way? You're like, oh, I don't really hate you. I only hate you because you said you hate me. Right? So stupid, um, but true sometimes, sadly. And so, anyways, the Samaritans come. That's the fun fact of playing in Nehemiah. But then 70 years pass. God is faithful to his word. He keeps his word 70 years. The land got its rest. And then now God, in his Holy Spirit, he stirs up the king of Persia. Because in that 70 years, Persia came on the scene. They overtook Babylon. Now it becomes like the king of Persia, or the, the Persian kingdom is like the superpower of the world. And now King Cyrus, he's, he's the king and then doesn't care about God. He's not a godly man. Um, and, but God stirs up his heart anyways, right? Because you guys know this, right? God will work like his work, his will will be done one way or another. And sometimes it's like the very fact that like an evil man, God gives them this idea where they're like, oh, man, yeah, let's just let the Jewish people go back home. Right. And he thinks that he's doing it for himself, make himself look good, probably. But God, really, he's working behind the scenes. And so he stirs up Cyrus. He says, yeah, go ahead and go. Do you know who was the first like two people, one or two people to lead the first like wave of exiles back into the land? Ezra was one of them. The other one, it's a little harder. Ezra's like the easy one, right? But Zerubbabel. All right, yeah. So they, they lead the people back, right? They're like, some of the people are like, yeah, let's go back home, right? But remember, it's a ghost town. It's not great. It's not safe for sure, right? Because everything's been destroyed. Everything's been taken. It's not like you just went on vacation and you came back home and everything's where it was. No, it's, it's destroyed. And so they're coming back, right? And then they start to build the temple, Right, which I think is a great thing. It's like first things first. We're going to honor the Lord. We're going to rebuild the temple before we start to rebuild the houses. Right. But what happened? Right. They faced opposition because here's something. Write it down. If you don't know this, if you don't realize this yet in your Christian walk is when God is on the move, Satan's never far behind. Right. When you step out for God, like I'm going to go whatever. I don't know. I'm going to go serve that family who's in need. Right. Satan's going to attack you. I can almost guarantee it. I don't know how it's going to look might just be discouragement, might be a flat tire, right? You ever had that stuff happen? You're like, why on today of all days when I'm just going to go drop off this food at this person's house, do I have this random flat tire from like, you know, and it's always the stupidest type of thing that doesn't even make sense, right? Someone was playing darts and they threw it over. I don't know, like it doesn't make any sense, but it's like it makes total sense. Why on today of all days? Because you're stepping out for God. And because you're stepping out for God, Satan's going to try to destroy that. He's going to try to kill that hope, that joy that you have in your, your life. He's going to try to distract you or discourage you. Maybe that's more of the thing that we see these days. We see a, a generation who just struggles with discouragement. And because of that, they don't do anything. You know, I don't think discouragement is like a bad thing. We all struggle with it. But if, do, if we stay discouraged and we don't do anything about it, well, then we're, we're just not doing anything. We're not making a difference. And so Ezra and them, they lead it back. The people, they rebuild the temple. Things look good, but opposition comes. And they basically effectively threaten them. Say, if you don't stop, you're going to be killed, right? And so they stop the work. That's where Haggai, you guys know Haggai? He comes in. You know what happens there? Right? So the work stopped because the opposition came. Well, it was too hard, too difficult. They're going to kill us, right? And so like, instead of fearing God, they start fearing man. But then what happens is in their fear of man, they start focusing on themselves. They start rebuilding their own houses. That's where Haggai comes in as a prophet. He comes in and he says, why are you guys building your own houses and you're making all these paneled housing, which is hilarious living in Texas. I'm like, we're making all these paneled housings. How? Anyways, to me it's hilarious. But not. Um, and then he's like, get back to work. Haggai says that, right? He's like, this is what the word of the Lord. Get back to work, rebuilding my temple, right? And then they start to get back to work there. Well, anyways, the, the story kind of slows down. And about 13 years later, not much has happened. And that's where Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah is serving the king, King Artaxerxes, in Persia, right? It's about 800 miles away from Jerusalem uh, where he is serving him. And now what I love about Nehemiah, and you should love it too, is that Nehemiah is an average Joe kind of dude or average Jane maybe, right? He, he's an average Joe. And why I love that is because you look in the Bible and you're like, well, I'm not a Paul. Paul was like a super saint. That dude is crazy, man. At one point, he was going to kill Christians. Then he's the greatest Christian ever. Like, what? I'm not a Paul. Right? You look at Peter. You're like, Peter preached at Pentecost. 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. I'm not a Peter. Peter was also kind of 
uh, special. No, I don't know. He, he made a lot of mistakes before that point, which encourages me. But you're like, I'm not a Peter, right? And then you look at the Old Testament, you're like, Moses, man, like who comes, who comes in comparison with Moses? You're like, oh, well, maybe Elijah. Well, Elijah, man, like he didn't even die, right? It's like, and so you're like, how can I be any of these people? But then you look at Nehemiah, and I'm like, yes, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, you're a regular dude. You're not a prophet. You're not a priest. You're no, you're nobody special. You're the cupbearer to the king. That's what he was, right? He's the cupbearer to the king. Do you know what he would do? What would he do? He would taste the wine, taste the food. You know why he would taste it? To see if it was poisoned, right? What does that say about Nehemiah? That you are replaceable, my friend. (laughs) Yeah. You have a job, but if you die, you're dead and I'm alive still, right? You're replaceable, and I just love it because I, for me, I'm like, sometimes it, it's weird how I'm encouraged, right? It's like I get <laughs> encouraged, like knowing that I'm just an average Joe kind of dude and I'm replaceable. But what I love about it is that God loves me and has a purpose and a plan for me anyways, and he does for you. Can I get amen? amen. Right? Nehemiah, an average Joe dude, sure, if he drank some poison wine, he would die. But God has called Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is serving the king. He goes to work. I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning, clocks in, and then his brothers come in. Right? They made this journey, and I don't know. I think Nehemiah is probably excited. Right? How's it going? That's what he says to them. How's it going in Jerusalem? And he probably thinks, well, it's been 13 or so years now. Ezra and Zerubbabel, they rebuilt the temple. It's got to be like booming, revival, right? Because they didn't have internet, phones, right? Just say, hey, man, how's it going? Right? And Nehemiah, he's out 800 miles away living his life, serving the king. And so how's it going? And he might have had hopes for good, good uh, report, but what did they say? It's not good. It's not good, Nehemiah. In fact, they say the remnant there in the province who had survived the, survived the exile, they are in great trouble and shame. The walls are broken down and its gates destroyed by fire. Essentially, like they're in danger. They don't have any walls around them. Walls back then would be security for them. You guys have heard of the Great Wall of China, right? Like that was built. Like It's like a huge example of what this would be to keep the enemies out, right? And so that, they're, he's like, they're in trouble. They have no shelter. They could easily be taken over again by anyone else who would come in. They could be killed, all their things taken. And so what happens, though, Nehemiah hears that, and Nehemiah is heartbroken. It's heartbroken. Here's about the people, and I think that's one of the key characteristics of Nehemiah. He is going through suffering, right? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. In this moment here, Nehemiah is suffering. He hears it. It hurts. It's bad. But suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. One of the character traits of Nehemiah is that he is a caring individual. How do we know that? Well, why would he fast and pray for these people who are 800 miles away? Right? It broke his heart. And then he, he goes before the Lord. He confesses to the Lord his sins. He confesses his father's sins. Like, it's just this whole confession thing, but it's a beautiful thing. And he does it because he cares. And then four months later, chapter 2 of Nehemiah, right? It's four months later. Many scholars think Nehemiah was praying, fasting for those four months. Now, he probably ate something because that's kind of physically impossible. Um, so he uh, comes before the king this day, four months later. And the king says, what's wrong, Nehemiah? What's wrong, Nehemiah? You're not sick. I, he's probably seen him sick at this point. You're not sick. This is obviously sadness of heart, the king says to Nehemiah. And then Nehemiah says, well, why shouldn't I be sad? And I think it's interesting, though. This is four months later, right after he received the news, right? It's just been inside of him this whole time, this frustration, this burden on his heart, right? He heard the news four months ago, but it didn't make its way out of his mouth until four months later. And I think it's partially because he had patience. I don't think Nehemiah knew what he was going to do with this news. I don't think he knew that he was going to be the man to go rebuild the wall to lead the people. But Nehemiah was a man who would pray. And he did the only thing he could do, right? Sometimes the only thing you can do is the only thing you should do, and that's pray. When this event happened last week in Texas, not far from my home, right? It's like I wanted to do anything I could, right? Like to me, it's like let's go get anointing oil and resurrect the dead is what I want to do. Then you're just like, what can I do? I can't do anything. I'm far away. 
even if I want to do something, someone else is probably doing the thing that I want to try to do anyways, and you get kind of discouraged. But the one thing that you can do always is pray. And sometimes praying is the only thing that you should do. Instead of trying to make your own way, make things happen on your own, you try to manipulate the situation, you try to, whatever, you know what I'm saying. Instead of trying to do it your way, no, let's do it God's way and wait. Nehemiah does it God's way, he waits, and God, man, he opens the door for Nehemiah. He doesn't force this thing, the king asks him. Right? Nehemiah's heart has now made his way, made its way out, right? Because that's what God does. God is more concerned with what he wants to do in you than what he will do through you. He wants to work through you, but you've got to understand, like, he's not going to work through you until he does a work in you. You know what I mean? Again, we're replaceable. Right? So when you think, well, I'm the answer to the world, and they're not going to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior unless I go tell them and I'm so special, but your heart's bitter, messed up, deceived, right? Like, God wants to fix your heart more than he wants to use you for other people. He will put someone else in to go minister to those people. So Nehemiah, he prays, and God opens the door, and Artaxerxes says, What are you asking? Nehemiah says, That I can go rebuild the city. He's bold. He's bold like that, and I love it. It's like when God opens the door, especially after you've been praying, like you got to be bold. It's like you say, well, God, and this is a true story for me and my wife. We're praying, like, God, if you want us to go to a to church plant, that was just a simple prayer. We didn't know where at that point. you got to make it clear, right? And then he would start to open the doors. And it wasn't like tomorrow he opened the door. You know, it was a couple weeks, maybe even a couple months where there's things where I'd be praying or reading my Bible or someone would come say something to me. You ever had that happen where, like, you don't even know this person and they say something to you that, like, is your language. I don't know how to say it. Like, they're prophesying. That happened to me a couple times where they literally, this guy said this word that I wrote down in my notebook and no one else, like, saw and it was just me and God and I was like, this is God. Like, how could this guy know what to say to me? Anyways, and so... You wait for God to open those doors. And so you pray, you lay a foundation of prayer, and God will open those doors up there. And when he does, you've got to be bold. Can't be scared. What does God tell uh, Joshua? Joshua was at 1-9. Be bold and courageous. Not be scared or timid and, you know, wait till I go work it all out. He's like, no, you're part of this thing, Joshua. Be bold and courageous. Right? And same thing with us, man. Be bold and courageous. You pray about it, God. Give me an opportunity to help somebody. And then that door opens. You better take it. You better take it. Nehemiah, he takes it. He says, I'm asking that I can go rebuild the city. And then he goes further. He says, I'm asking that you would actually give me letters so that I can travel effectively. It'd be like a passport today. He gets a passport. He's allowed to go into different countries or provinces and stuff back in that day. And so he wouldn't get any trouble. And then he asked for letters that he could get materials to fund this project, rebuilding the wall. Isn't that interesting, right? He's just bold. He's just asking for it all. Everything in the kitchen sink, please, King Artaxerxes. And the crazy thing is King Artaxerxes, again, not a man of God, but God works in him to show Nehemiah favor. And so he grants him this stuff. And then Nehemiah, he goes and he inspects the land, right? He didn't tell anybody. The king knew, but nobody else knew what he was doing. And so he inspects the land. He counts the cost. Sometimes we just got to take a cue from Nehemiah, right? It's like, just have wisdom. If God's called you to do something, sometimes just take time to go see what it's going to require. That's what Jesus said. Right? He said, count the cost. What man goes to war with another like, army without first considering if they can even win? If they know they're going to lose, then you're just wasting your time. And he says, if you, if you want to be my disciple, count the cost. What is he saying? It's like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. He says, the world will hate you because it hated me. And if you think anything different, you're delusional. Right? He's like, count the cost. And then if you think that you can do it and you're up for the challenge, well, then follow me. Pick up your cross daily. Right? Nehemiah, he, he counts the cost. And then I love it. He kind of gets the, the people together and then he shares the vision. He says, we're suffering. Well, let me just read it from there. Chapter 2, he says, then I said to them, this is verse seven, uh, 17, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. 
Right? And so in this moment, he's telling the people, he tells them of the, the favor of God. Is that the next verse? Did I read that one? Oh, yeah, verse 18. And I told them of the hand of God who had been upon me for good and of the words of the king. And so he's sharing the vision. He's sharing what God has done in this moment. And then the next thing you know is the people kind of like erupt and they're like, let's rise and build. Let's do this thing. I mean, the people are no stranger to this work that needs to be done, right? The walls have been burnt down and destroyed for, at this point, I don't know, 90 years or so from that captivity. And they've seen it. They've heard about it. Let's do something about it. And sometimes all it takes is like an average Joe person like Nehemiah to just stand up and say, hey, I think we need to do something about this. The very blatantly obvious thing that nobody talks about. But when they do talk about it, everybody's like, yes. We do need walls and protection, right? You know what I'm saying? Like just the obvious thing where, man. Um, and so he shares the vision. They're all like, yes, let's do it. Let's rebuild this wall. And then chapter 3, go d- read this one for homework. You might be tempted to just pass through it. Like it's a bunch of names. I don't know how to say them. I don't know who they are. And, that, and honestly, I mean, I think they all matter. But the point is that they're working together as a team. And what you'll see there as you read through chapter 3, some people come from far away, from different nations even, to come to Judah and Jerusalem to start rebuilding the wall, to partake in the wall. Some people come from like right across the street and they just do a little tiny work. Some people are rebuilding sections upon sections of wall and other people are like essentially just putting the door handle or the doorknob like on the gate. Like it's not much. But the thing is, what you need to know is that there's no small work when it comes to God's kingdom. There's no small task. You might think, well, I'm just the janitor. I just vacuum the carpet, right? And you think, well, this doesn't really mean anything. No, yes, it does. Because if you didn't vacuum it, this would be filthy. And then, no, that wouldn't be good. But you know what I mean? That matters. But you might think, well, I'm not the teacher. Well, we need greeters, too. We need, I, and I don't know all the positions and stuff that go on in this church, but, you know, back home and back in Tucson, uh, we had a big church, and there was just a lot of moving parts. And honestly, it's like if we don't have one of those moving parts, like the whole thing doesn't function how it should. And right here with Nehemiah, it's like we need the people. We need the ones that are doing a lot. We need the ones that are doing a little. So here's the thing. Whatever your role is in this church, be encouraged because you matter. Right? You encouraging other people. You might not be the pastor, the teacher, the worship leader, right? It's like, but you talking with others, encouraging others, being there for others. You guys, the church needs it. You matter. And so chapter 3 is just this beautiful picture of teamwork where they come together and they're not there to argue about differences. Too often in our culture today, everyone wants to argue. We're all kinds of bothered by everything, right? And people are offended by everything. And we want to defend ourselves, our truth, our belief, whatever it is. But man, here's the thing. With the church, the body of Christ, we shouldn't allow those things inside here at all. Like we are united in Christ, Right. And Jesus Christ, that's where we stand. That's we all got problems. You don't need to point them all out all the time. You understand what I'm saying? It's like we'll tear each other down. Meanwhile, someone maybe someone new from Springfield comes in. and They want to be a part of this church. And then they see two seasoned Christians arguing with one another about who knows. You pick a subject, right? You guys know that kind of stuff happens. They see that happening. And then what do they want? Well, I don't want to be anything. I don't want anything to do with that church. And Jesus says when the world sees the love you have for one another, then they'll know that you're my disciples. So we can't be arguing and stuff because when we're doing that, we're doing Satan's work for him. Like, don't do Satan's work for him. He wants to divide. He wants to distract. He wants to destroy. Don't fall for it. We want to be unified, striving to work together. Right In chapter 4, it's all about opposition, more of that. Chapter 5 is opposition from the inside, um, kind of what I was talking about. Like You'll see conflict come, internal conflict. Nehemiah handles it. Sometimes you just got to stop the work to handle big issues because if you don't handle it, it will stop the work completely. So a little delay is better than not seeing completion at all. And then chapter 6, how you guys have been seeing on the screen for the last, whoever knows how long I've been talking, uh, we're going to talk about it, but we're not going to read through all of it. But I'll just let you know the first two parts of chapter 6 is more opposition. It shows us the relentless pursuit of the enemy. right? So if you feel beat up like you're being attacked all the time, it's because you are. 
Because we do have a real enemy. His name's Satan. He hates Jesus. He hates you. And he hates anything that you or I want to do in Jesus' name for the good of others. So when these things happen, don't be surprised. Well, why are these things happening to me? Let me encourage you that we all struggle with things. We all go through temptations and trials and tribulations, do we not? Just a show of hands, so if you've been through some stuff and trials, come on, like seriously, look around the room, you're not alone. If you guys are struggling, you're not alone. You might think you're alone, that's what Satan wants you to think. No, the Bible says no temptation has overcome you that's not common to man. You're not alone. And it says that God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you can handle. Every temptation, there's a way of escape. So like if you're being tempted, you can overcome. And so Nehemiah, he's tempted to give in, to be distracted with some different opportunities. I don't have the time to go into it too much this morning. If you want like the super extended version, go listen to the first service if that's available. Again, I didn't know there was time restraints. And I heard this one doesn't really have time restraints, but I got to at least make one. What time am I supposed to be done by anyways? 12 ish. Okay. Well, that's very subjective. And, um, so anyways, opposition comes the relentless pursuit of the enemy. Again, when God's on the move, Satan's not far behind. He'll try to distract you, discourage you, anything and everything that he can to stop you from pursuing God and making God known. And so the enemy pursues Nehemiah. But now check it out. Nehemiah 6, verse 15. After he, Nehemiah, he endures. Again, endurance is something that should define a Christian. It's not really optional. We should push through. So Nehemiah pushes through in verse 16, or again, 15. So the wall was finished. The wall was finished, and he says, on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days... 52 days. That's how long it started. It took from start to finish. When they got the people together, they said, let's rise and build. And then they went through opposition. They got the team together. They gave some pep talks. They handled some internal conflict and fires, right? And they kept doing the work. 52 days. That's not very long, is it? Right? Was that a month and a half? Maybe almost two months if February is one of those months. Uh, <laughs> right? It's not very long. And what I love about it is it tells us one thing is that in a very short period of time, much is possible if the people of God would come together doing the small things. Some people giving little, some people giving much, some people going far, some people not going far at all. They come together. Much is possible when we when we come together united in a mission and vision to pursue Jesus and to make him known. Amen. And so 52 days. But then it also shows us how much opposition is possible in such a short period of time. So again, when we're going out and you're trying to unite or you're trying to do a work of God, you have a mission, a vision, you got a dream, whatever you want to call it, right? It's like you're going to you're going to see a lot of opposition. I'm sure discouragement will be one of them. You're like, "What was I thinking? That's not really possible. Getting all the churches together in the city to love each other and serve each other. That's not going to happen. We got busy. And you start to justify it too, right? And I share this because this is a thought that I have sometimes. Well, they got busy schedules, you know, and to line them all up, it's probably impossible. And you start to be discouraged and you talk yourself out of it. That's Satan just trying to distract you and trying to get you away from pursuing it. But again, it's like, man, he, he wants to stop it, but we must endure. But now check out verse 16. And when all our enemies heard of it, that's that the wall was rebuilt. When all of our enemies heard of it, the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And I love that because there's so many instances, and I didn't tell you some of the ones in chapter 6, but it's personal. Like it's personal attacks to Nehemiah, to the leadership Right? And Nehemiah could have tried to justify himself and speak up for himself, defend himself, but he didn't. And really, he just said, no, I'm not coming. I'm not gonna, I don't have time for that. I'm committed to God, and I'm committed to this work. Right? And so in, in being committed and faithful, I think God honors it in a big way. Because Nehemiah could have defended himself with Sanballat and Tobiah, thinking that this is some type of ministry opportunity, I'm going to reach them, or I'm going to show, make an example out of them, or something like that. But in not taking the bait, and in just being faithful, 
God did a much greater work. Did you notice it? The nations around them saw this and feared God. They knew that this was God's work. That's the thing. It's like sometimes in our life, you're going to have to say no to things that are just a distraction. You need to have discernment. Pray for it. Proverbs talks about call out for insight. Pray for wisdom. Get understanding. It's better than silver. It's better than gold because you need it. Right? And pray for those things. Because, then when a, because when a distraction comes, you can discern that this isn't something I should waste my time on. And you can focus on what God has called you to do. Right? And in doing that, I think God's going to do a bigger work. He's going to do far abundantly more than we think or ask, like he says in Ephesians 3. But we've got to be faithful and we've got to endure. Now, I'll try to wrap this whole thing up. Did I even give you a message title? This, this one I know... <laughs> Uh, a work in progress. Okay, that's uh, the message title. But I guess I'll try to wrap it up because with Nehemiah, what I see is that it's a work in progress, right? It's like he, a lot of uh, opposition, struggle, temptation, I think even, tired at times. There's a moment in uh, Nehemiah where it said the strength of the people is failing. They're getting tired. They're working physical jobs. But what I love here is like it's, it's a work in progress. And you and I, we're a work in progress what I want you to know, too, from Nehemiah's example is just that God doesn't call you to solve everything. He just calls you to do what he's called you to do. That's why we need each other. Because then however many people, how many people would you say is in this room right here? Anyone want to guess? 50, 80, 100? I don't know. I'm terrible with this. But, you know, if we have a 80 different calls of God and we all come together, man, just imagine how powerful that is. It's like, God hasn't called me to run your race. He's called you to do it. And he doesn't call you to do someone else's job, but we, we are a work in progress. And when we come together, man, we see things happen in a beautiful way. And I want to encourage you that today, maybe you look at your life a little bit like Nehemiah looked at the walls, right? In ruins. And maybe you would say today that my life, Nick, is in ruins. And you might think to yourself that there is no hope. Right? Or, or you just think it won't amount to much. I've made too many mistakes, but I want you to know you're a work in progress. Right? God sees your potential. God knows what He can do. He is the giver of life. Right? He's the one who will resurrect your dead body and He'll breathe life into it. He forgives you. He will forgive you anyways, I should say, if you come to Him. And now you're a work in progress, and I hope that you... If, you, if you're down on yourself, you messed up, I want you to understand there's hope. If maybe you're one of those people who thinks, well, I've arrived, I can kick my feet up, I'm good now. I don't know, I hope that's not you, but, you know, there's those people out there, right? I'm just kicking my feet up, I want to relax, my work is done. No, your work is not done. If you're still alive and breathing, there's work to do. There's work to do. And so you're still a work in progress. God is working in us, right? There's a verse that says that he, we are being sanctified. Like, it's a process, right? When we believe in Jesus and we repent and we confess that He is Lord, like, we have salvation in that moment. But to be sanctified is a process. It's something that we will never be fully um, what do you, just sanctified until we get to Jesus. You understand? And so it's not about trying to like be perfect, oh, I blew it, right? How many of you might, might play that pity card, right, in your life? Well, oh, man, I blew it again. Ah, oh, I blew it again. Yeah, I'll never be anything. I'll never amount to anything. Oh, it's like, just take, have a little grace with yourself, like mercy. Like you get back up. Proverbs says that the righteous man falls seven times, yet he gets back up again. Because there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. But you got to get back up. You got to keep enduring. You fall down in a race, you get back up. You still got to finish it. Jesus isn't going to be like, oh, you fell down. It's all right. You don't need to. You know what I mean? I'm talking about like this day and age, like little kids running a race, they fell down. Oh, you don't need to run the race. It's like, no, it's a race. <laughs> get up. At least that's how I would be for my kids. Um, but we're all a work in progress. And I hope that we would have grace with one another as we are letting God work in our lives, through our lives. And I pray that we would come together in a powerful way, just unified in, in Jesus, really. And nothing else really matters. Like, we get all uptight about silly things, and we forget about what really matters. That's Jesus, knowing Him, getting other people to know Him, showing His love to this community, this world around us. This world, if you don't know, needs Jesus, right? And 
the best way to do it is for them to see the church come together, loving one another. And even, and I think as they see us being a work in progress, that ministers to them. We're like, man, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Maybe there's hope for me. And we can say there is. And I know a guy, Jesus Christ. And he wants to love you, forgive you, and give you everlasting life. Amen? Would you guys stand with me and let's pray. Actually, one last verse if you have it up there. Just check out the screen. Philippians 1.6. I just want you to take this with you. This was my mom's favorite verse. That's not why I put it up here, but this was the verse that she just believed and pleaded with the Lord uh, for my life because at one point I, I went astray. I, did, I believed in God, but I didn't believe that God could do anything in my life again. I thought I messed up too much. I know he can forgive me, but he'll never use me. But this is a verse that my mom would send me in cards and things of that nature. And she'd always quote this, Philippians 1.6. And it says, For he who began a work, good work in you, and he, God, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I just want to leave you with that today. It's like we're a work in progress and it's not over till it's over. Either we go to see Jesus or he comes here. It's not over. If you're still alive and breathing here, we got work to do. And this world needs to see Jesus. Amen. So, Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. It's good. It's exciting. It's challenging convicting at times, Lord, but God, um, I pray, Lord, that you, you have spoken to us all in some way, shape, or form, giving us what we need. Lord, this morning, I pray if we received something, God, that we wouldn't let the devil snatch it up, or that he wouldn't come and pluck the seeds from our hearts, but that our hearts would be prepped and watered, Lord, and that as your word falls on the soil of our hearts, that it would take root, and that it starts to bring forth fruit, fruit that you desire, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control in our lives, and that people would see it, not to make much of ourselves, Lord, but to make much of you. That you are the miracle worker, God. That you have worked and are working in our lives, God. And use us as an example of what you want to do in the lives of others, Lord. God, help us as we are in a work in progress, Lord. And uh, we can't wait till it's completed. And we just love you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen.